0: Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. Two weeks away from the NFL Draft. Kevin Bowen back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. Hope all of you are safe during this coronavirus pandemic that continues to impact so many around our country Um, I appreciate a lot of you reaching out and just talking about the distraction that our content has provided you over the past few weeks, and as long as the NFL continues to operate like it sounds like it will, um, we will continue to produce that content, so 1075thefan.com has a bunch of written coverage, and we'll certainly have that over the next two to three weeks with not only the draft starting April 23rd, two weeks from Thursday, I'm recording this on Tuesday morning. But, um, you know, potentially a virtual off season program, you know, we'll, we'll, start later this month as well for the Colts. And we'll see how media availability actually comes out of that, but, uh, it'll still be a little bit of news items from, um, you know, virtually this 90 man roster that should get to 90 after the draft coming together for the off program. So today's podcast will mainly focus on, we will get into a chunk of those Twitter questions. I know I've been, uh. I've been teasing that for, for quite a while. Ask for Twitter questions. We'll hit on those. Um, I want to get a little bit deeper into the specifics on going from Jacoby Brissett to Phillip Rivers. Um, look at the pros and cons of it and explain you know, not only why the Colts made this move, but again, just more of the actual differences in, in playing style and what we're going to see potentially here in, uh, in 2020. Uh, I I apologize for just you know the the technical difficulties that I guess I face in recording the podcast from home. Um, the sound quality I think has been pretty good, but um, I know a lot of you have been asking about a producer, and we will have a producer at some point whenever you know social distancing um, you know you know starts to lessen. I get back into the studio, but for now, um, there's no need to. Uh, to do that. And from an equipment standpoint, um, I'm just rolling with one mic here. So uh, we're rocking a little garage band, We're rocking a little iPhone um, headset. And I uh, don't even know if you call it a headset. Um, probably just more headphones. And yeah, we're going to roll with the podcast as is. Uh, we should have a podcast next week. And then that like Tuesday-ish maybe before the draft will probably be our final podcast. So the next two we'll really focus on more of draft-specific content as um, the Colts have seven picks as of right now heading into the 2020 draft. Virtual beers with Bowen. I'm sure some of you have seen me tweet that out. I've mentioned on the podcast that is April 16th, so that is a week from Thursday. That'll be, I believe, 8 o'clock Eastern time. That'll be live on YouTube, um, so check that out. And uh, that'll be a fun night, too. uh Just chill, relax, have a beer. Some of you probably have beers and listen to this podcast anyways. Um, so yeah, that'll be, uh, how we operate here over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but like I said, difference in, in, in quarterback style, we'll get into Let, let's, let's do start with, cause I feel like everybody is obsessed with Jersey numbers. Um, the Colts announced some changes to Jersey numbers or just assigned some Jersey numbers to some of their guys on Monday. Phillip Rivers will be rocking his patented number 17. Obviously, Devin Funchess gone, so that opens up. Rock Yassin, I always thought 34 was kind of an awkward number for Rock. I don't know what position is like a good 34 number. Is it like a good safety number? Maybe like a power running back number? But yeah, 26 for Rock now. Um... Those, I believe, were his two numbers in college at Presbyterian and Temple 2 and 6. He was one of the single-digit guys at Temple. Xavier Rhodes cannot wear 29 like he is used to wearing here in Indianapolis because that is Malik Hookers. Um, so he's going to go with 27, and I believe he's wearing that because a Terrell Buckley, kind of a throwback name, uh, played at Florida State well before Xavier Rhodes was Hell, even – I don't even know if Dave Rhodes is a baby when um, Terrell Buckley was there, but uh, that's kind of always been someone that he's looked up to. So, Rhodes will go from 29 that he wore in Minnesota to 27. Nate Hairston's old number, I believe, for the Colts. Uh, Justin Houston finally gets 50. You know, that's that's what he wore in uh, Kansas City for all those years. He was 99 last year. Anthony Walker wasn't budging last year. I guess he's budging now. Walker will go to 54 uh, after he wore 50. Sheldon Day going back to his Notre Dame number of 91. And then to Force Buckner with 99 opening up. Um, he gets to wear the same number that he wore in San Francisco. So, yeah, number um, jersey aesthetics. I know we laugh about it. <laughs> Joey Molinaro and I love jersey numbers. We talked about Naeem Hines making the switch from. What was it that ugly forty two he wore in the preseason to twenty one you're you're just faster when you're forty two you're um you're uh what's his name um uh, what's what's the running back in friday night lights bug comber Coomer? yeah you're the you're the sophomore that's playing j v on saturday mornings and you're hoping to get in varsity on saturday or on friday nights you know for the final two minutes of homecoming twenty one That now, now that is a number that's That's 4.38 speed and and whatnot. Speaking of that, I just posted an article up on 107.5thefan.com that talks about Paris Campbell and Naeem Hines and how I think they can benefit from Phillip Rivers, which is exactly something that we will get to later today. So let's hop into it. Quarterback differences from Jacoby Brissett under center and that playing style versus Phillip Rivers in his playing style. Um, Expect quicker rhythm. I, I would say that's probably something we, we've we heard a lot about. Um, you know, Reich and the Colts expect the ball to come out quicker in 2020. Uh, last year, Phillip Rivers ranked fifth in the NFL, in getting the ball out an average of 2.63 seconds. Jacoby Brissett got it out 2.93 seconds. So to a lot of people, that might not seem like a lot, 0.3 seconds. But Rivers again, he ranked fifth. Brissett ranked 38th. I think when you put in those terms, it's like, whoa. Um, and I know I've mentioned this in prior podcasts. If you're gonna be at 2.93, like, like um uh, like Jacoby was you better be hitting those chunk plays vertically. Well, you know, If you're going to wait that long to throw the ball, that's where more of the big play offense has to come into play, and it just didn't. Um, so 0.3 seconds, again, it, it might not seem like a long time, but it's a huge difference when you are picturing NFL speed down in, down out. Uh, I would say the biggest con with Rivers under center, or one of the biggest cons, is certainly limited mobility. Um. The off script nature certainly is not going to be there as much. Uh, obviously, everyone goes back to that Denver game late last season when Brissett made the best play of his career, uh, and you know, kind of shedding Von Miller, rolling to his right, throwing just a frozen rope to Ty Hilton, who had you know gotten away from Chris Harris and and made the toe tap catch. So um, that is exactly what. Um, Brissett offered that type of ability again, kind of you know, pass rushers just climbing on him and hanging on him and, and stuff like that. He did, he just he was able to make a few more plays, I think, outside of the pocket, and it just puts more of an onus on the offensive line. You guys have heard me kind of beat that uh, beat that to death a little bit, and I, I know I've mentioned offensive line depth numbers. On last week's podcast, I talked about how the 49ers and, and Chiefs relied on um, several backups to help them out on their offensive line to start games. Um, full transparency, because I am an idiot. My laptop crashed over the weekend. Um, and I am a 30-year-old that often um, 30-year-old by by age, but probably trapped in a 63-year-old body to many when it comes to um, the saving of documents. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'll just save it to Word. I'll be good. No need to save it to a cloud or Google Docs. No, that would make too much sense. So I have lost a substantial amount of uh, of my documents. So um, I had to re- rewrite the offensive line depth article that I had already written. But when I was researching the numbers, which I'm an idiot, and my wife just looked at me like, um, that's just uh, – shit, I mean, that just sucks. Like, uh, you just got to you just gotta save the cloud. Um, so I'm going to do that now. Uh, it, it's a hard learning lesson, but I am learning. Uh, but again, I, I was able to research a few more of the offensive line depth numbers, and what I found here was the Colts didn't need any backup to start a game on their offensive line last year. Their starters, those five guys, Costanzo, Nelson, Kelly, Glowinski, and Smith, they started And played 97% of the offensive snaps last year. You look at San Francisco and Kansas City. I want to say San Francisco needed 18 starts from their backups. And their five starters played 74%. The Chiefs, I think, needed 15 starts from their backup offensive linemen. And their five starters played 76%. So you're talking... You know, more than a 20% difference in offensive line snaps from the starting units, not to mention, like I said, 15 and 18 starts respectively from those backups. So it just further proves the point of when you consider Rivers more of a statue, the offensive line and the depth of that unit and the health, obviously, is is paramount, Um. I I did find it interesting that when you looked at the sack percentage numbers last year, Rivers was actually – had a smaller sack percentage number than Jacoby Brissett. And all we hear about is, oh, my gosh, that line in L.A. was terrible, this and that. I I just think that comes from Rivers' ability to handle protections and certainly get the ball out faster. You know, like he knows full well he can't move. So it was 5.4% for Rivers. Per was five point seven percent. So uh, that is, you know, again, it's something that's still the the, the off script nature. It just puts more of a pressure on your O line holding up your receivers to beat press and that quicker rhythm passing game to be there. Because if timing is off a little bit and that protection breaks down, you're not going to get the off script nature that uh, that Jacoby is able to provide you. Okay, th- this aspect to me is the. Biggest change the Colts wanted, and, and it's hard to um, maybe kind of see just on film or or, or, or or via stats, but this is something that they have mentioned publicly and definitely behind the scenes as well, and that's the cognitive ability. Um, the Colts were pleased with a lot of things Jacoby did pre snap, whether it was handling protections with Ryan Kelly or getting them in the right run checks, things like that. They wanted him to process things a little quicker in knowing where to go with the football earlier in plays. So it's process quicker, and then it's act on that. And that was not fast enough for the Colts' liking. And I think that is the biggest difference. When you hear Rivers and you hear Frank Wright talk about him, and he just gushes about the elite intellectual. Um, knowledge base, I guess, that Phillip Rivers brings. He already knows what 85% of the offense, Frank Reich believes, uh, Rivers has played in this system for the most part since 2013. You know, a few few tweaks here and there. But, you know, when you factor in a lot of that, the Colts really feel like they can tap into that. And, of course, it it means even more when you look at the offseason that we're probably going to – have here in 2020. I mean, this, I, I'd be stunned if there is in-person off-season program and we'll see if, tra- you know, hopefully by late July training camp can still go on as is, but it ha- it is going to have a bit of a 2011 feel to it uh, with that lockout. So to have a guy like Rivers that knows the system for the most part, and then I think I mentioned on last week's podcast, you know, maybe come June and July, he's able to, okay, hey, you know, if we're back to, you know, whatever, you can be in groups of 10 or 15, something like that. Um, you know, he can bring some guys into the Northwest Florida area where where he lives. Um, and assuming that he hasn't moved to Indianapolis yet, I would assume that this coronavirus situation has kept him in the Florida area. You know, he can bring in the Hiltons and the Pascals and the Doyles and, and the Mo Alley-Cox and Campbell and, you know, whoever you draft as well, bring some of those guys to Northwest Florida and try to get on the same page. I also think the no no huddle element will be something that this offense uses um I mean just think think back to last year they they didn't use it at all and then they tried to spark things late in the year with the Carolina Jacksonville games of using some of the no huddle and you know not a whole lot of success I mean they they, they scored a ton of points against Carolina but they just didn't use it much and I think uh, I think that's just such a staple of getting into more of the chess match feel to it. And that's something that I've tried to harp on is you're going to have to win chess matches. And I think the no huddle aspect of things can put you in more chess matches. And that's where you rely on, again, just that elite sort of uh, process ability from Frank Reich to Phillip Rivers to, um, to try to win you some football games and just be a more efficient offense. I don't think there's any doubt that there's less arm strength with Rivers, then Jacoby Brissett, But it, it, it's one thing to be like, oh, yeah, just go on a football field and have these two guys throw the football the furthest. But it's another thing of having the willingness to utilize that arm strength. And I just didn't feel like the Colts and Jacoby used that um, to its fullest. It was something that I felt like they they, they tapped into a lot in 2017. You know, I, I think of the over-the-top play to Hilton uh, down in Houston, I want to say it was. Maybe it was an underneath route. Yards after catch. There are a couple big plays to Hilton over the top in 2017 that this offense was able to tap into, and they just couldn't do it last year vertically. Um, and that's why you know they had one of the quieter passing games in the in the NFL. Um, and the big play numbers last year certainly favored Rivers, but but as I've mentioned, I think a lot of that had to do with personnel. Yes, there is a willingness to throw the football. Down the field a little bit more, certainly. Um, The average intended air yards, which is kind of a, it makes me sound a lot smarter than I am, a next-gen stat. Um, Rivers was 8.6. Again, average intended air yards. That was 8.6 for Rivers last year per attempt. Bursette was 7.9. So there is a little bit of difference there. The Chargers had a lot more um, big plays, I think 18 more nineteen more big passing plays than the Colts did last year. But I, I just don't think we can lose sight of Rivers had personnel in Mike Williams and Keenan Allen specifically and even Hunter Henry that he was, you know, felt good, felt safe, uh, felt willing to um, you know, test things a little bit more vertically. So where is that arm strength at? And Is it different in you're throwing a deep ball to have T.Y. Hilton run underneath it or Paris Campbell run underneath it versus a deep ball to Mike Williams or Keenan Allen where they're more climbing a ladder to go up and get it? Uh, I think that's a fair argument and something that'll be um, an element to this offense that I'll certainly be watching in 2020. All right, a couple more um, differences Before we dive into a loaded, loaded Twitter question, Um, let's start here with more accuracy. I I think if you look at Philip Rivers' three seasons with Frank Reich, one as quarterback's coach in 2013, then the next two seasons as um, offensive coordinator Reich was with, with Rivers, the most consistent and the best aspect was the accuracy. Um, I want to say of Rivers' career, I think three of the four most accurate seasons of his, of his entire career, 14 years as a starter, came um, with the accuracy element under Frank Reich. And, again, one of the deeper next-gen stats that I think really brings us to light is they dive a little bit deeper than just, okay, strictly completion percentage, which, whatever, whatever. Uh, you know Rivers was 6 or 7 um, percentage points, I think, better than, than the Colts were last season. But you look specifically at next-gen stats, expected completion percentage. So that, I think, takes into consideration on target throws and those sorts of things. Rivers was plus 1.7%. Jacoby was minus 4 expected completion percentage. Rivers ranked 8th in the NFL, Jacoby 36th in the NFL. So, again, what, what I think we're factoring more just on target, and this doesn't necessarily take into these guys hauling in passage, which takes into consideration drops, and, again, some of the big body wideouts and things like that. And I, I think a lot of this continues to come back to getting the ball out quicker. While there certainly is a willingness on occasion – to pump the ball down the field a little bit more. Consistently, it is the quicker rhythm. And I think those are the higher percentage opportunities for completions. And then you rely on your pass catchers to make plays after the catch. And and that this goes back to what I was talking about earlier. T.Y. Hilton and Paris Campbell in this offense, I just think they can be such big yards-after-catch guys. And while I will still continue to harp on the need to get bigger body wideouts, that's not the entire story. I still think what Campbell and Hines can give you after the catch, that that can be huge. The Chargers were top five last year in yards after the catch. The Colts were, I think, bottom five or bottom six. And it, it, it's really been an element of this Colts offense that just hasn't been utilized enough. And that's something when Frank Wright came here, him and Nick Sirianni touched on of like, Look at these crossers. Look at these shallow routes. Again, the high percentage throws earlier in plays, and then you let you know Hines the fastest forty of any running back, or you let Paris Campbell. Um, I think he had the fastest forty at the combine of any skill player back in twenty nineteen. You let those guys make those plays. I just think that's such a such a big factor uh, to this offense taking another jump. And then lastly, different decision-making. And this is where probably the biggest pro-con factor comes into things at the quarterback position. Um, you know, the analytics don't show a huge discrepancy in the aggressiveness from those guys, honestly, from last year, which I think is a little surprising to some. But you look at the turnover percentage and the interception percentage, and Rivers, boom, twenty picks. Uh, Brissett, six picks, and the interception percentage was like a full two points, three point four interception percentage for Rivers, one point three for Jacoby. Again, that is a big, big difference, and that's something you're gonna have to live with. Of, and we talked about it, I think a couple podcasts ago of like seventeen of Rivers' twenty interceptions came when they were either tied or behind. The vast majority of those seventeen coming from when they were behind. Can you play from? Be- can you play with the lead a little bit more? Can you do that? Better run game, better defense. That is, I think, what the Colts are hoping for and believing that they can get to a little bit more. Um, so I think that'll be a huge factor when um, when uh, things get underway. Schedule at least May 9th, a little bit later, and uh, we'll see exactly where some of those games fall and how many primetime games for the Colts as well. Now that they have a quarterback, I think it certainly draws a little bit more of a national audience to him under center. All right, let's dive into a large, large amount of Twitter questions and uh, appreciate all of you sending them in. And uh, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter time. Uh and as I have said, I appreciate you guys bearing with me through this. I know it's a lot easier when you got a sidekick, and uh, we will have a producer at some point once we get back in the studio. But we're all trying to make men's right now, and uh, producing the content, to me, is the most important part. So, uh, again, my voice for the entire hour. I know it can get a little bit of a uh, a long hour, but appreciate you guys. Sticking with us, and the numbers have been really good. So let's start with Greg. Hey, Kevin, does Rock's number change to 26 mean Clayton Gethers absolutely gone? Absolutely is probably harsh, but uh, likely gone, I would assume. Um, it's very rare, you know, for Chris Ballard to get into the month of April and re-sign some of his own free agents. Now, having said that, I will say this offseason I think is a little bit different in that You know, there's no off-season program, and, you know, if training camp is is scaled back in any way, do you want guys that you're more familiar with at that point in terms of filling bodies, or, you know, do the Colts look at it right now, and I think they have a roster of about 70, 70 of their 90 spots filled, okay, seven draft picks, there's 77, 13 undrafted free agents, yeah, I mean, I I, I could kind of see that as well, Um yeah, but right now, Clayton Gathers, Jabal Sheard, Dontrell Inman, Chester Rogers, Adam Vinatieri, and Jonathan Williams. Those are the unrestricted free agents still on the open market for the Colts. I mean, some some notable names on that list. I mean, hell, Sheard was a starter for you. Williams started a few games. Inman and Rogers played various roles. Obviously, Vinatieri speaks for itself and Gathers as well. So at least some notable names. I got so many questions about jersey numbers. and Do you think DeForest Buckner paid Justin Houston? And then did Houston pay Anthony Walker and all that? I think, uh, hell, if I'm DeForest Buckner, I said, Anthony Walker, man, look, Jay J Houston wants 50, and I want 99. And if you want offensive linemen not to climb to the second level, you, you make that happen. You're still on your rookie deal. I'm sure there was some money involved. Had to be some money involved, but. Yeah. All right, Patrick, although it doesn't seem likely, what does a draft class without a quarterback tell us about how Ballard and Reich plan to move forward? Well, I would say if they don't draft a the quarterback, they they certainly think Philip Rivers is a two-year um two-year option. E- even though there is the one-year contract right now, I I obviously it means they don't really like a quarterback in this class and they're sold or they feel you know good about the 2021 group. And I know that I've mentioned this before. If we start to see them trade back at all in a few weeks, and you know start to accumulate 2021 draft capital, to me that screams for a Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence trade up, something like that. Uh, I know it's very early to think that way. I mean, Joe Burrow at this time last year was you know whatever he was, a fifth or sixth round pick, and now you see where he's going. Uh, but I, I think those would be some of the indications. Maybe they still have hope for Jacoby, which. I don't know. Because, again, Jacoby's going to be a free agent next year. And while, you know, there might not be, like, a lot of slam dunk opportunities, is he just going to look at this situation and be like, I feel like I'm being dragged along. I need a fresh start. I need some place where, you know, I can at least have more of the open starting job than right here at Phillip Rivers, which is, you know, a stone-cold lock that he's going to be a starter. All right, Matt, who are the two most underrated Colts players? Players that get very little media hype. Ooh, 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 ooh. I like this one. Um, He goes with Jack Doyle and Anthony Walker. I think those are two good ones. I think Braden Smith is one. I think oftentimes offensive linemen in general are punching bags for fans, especially tackles. Anthony Costanzo was a punching bag to an extent for quite a while. I mean, Braden Smith, as a rookie, what, he played, I think, 39 of his 41 starts at Auburn were at guard? Barely played tackle. Gets thrust into duty in, you know, early October. And for the most part, he's been really, really solid. Um. So, yeah, I guess I'll go with Braden Smith. I think Kenny Moore is really underrated still. I know, he, you know, he's starting to get more and more hype. But um, Grover Stewart, maybe, on rundowns. Yeah, those are some of the names that I, I think Doyle and Walker. Are um, are fair. Craig, what do you think would need to happen early in the first round in order for Ballard to pull the trigger on trading up into the first round? Who might he take? Thanks for providing a needed distraction during this time. Well, thank you, Craig, for that. Um, you know, it's hard for me to see him trading up for anything other than a quarterback. You know, it's... <laughs> I guess maybe trenches just because that's kind of his core belief, but I think you feel really good about your starting offensive line and your starting starting defensive line and, and even your, your backups on your defensive line. I, I would say if one of those top four quarterbacks, which in all likelihood I guess Love would be the most likely of those four, if they fell to 20, that would be where I think you start to make some calls. But again, it's just it's so against his mantra, and if he do, if he's not sold on these quarterbacks and he only has seven draft picks, because if you go from 34 to 22, you're still giving up a decent amount of draft capital. And we've only seen him do it, what? Tyquan Lewis, Kari Willis, right? Aren't those the only two trade-ups ever? So yeah, I, I would think that would be the only reason. And, and at that point, you're obviously... <laughs> You're obviously going to be competing against, I would say, several teams. And I, I'm curious to see how trades play out with, with all this, you know, virtual draft room stuff and whatnot. I'm curious to see how it plays out. All right, Justin, why does Jordan Love seem to be falling in the draft? A month ago, people were talking about trading up from 13 to grab him. What's changed? It's a really good question. Um, I think you have less quarterback needy teams, you know, Cam Newton. Jameis Winston, these guys can't really seem to find a home right now. Um, I think specifically with Love, what I'm interested in is the lack of in-person meeting time with him. You know, Frank Reich made it really clear at the Combine. If you're going to draft a franchise quarterback, you need to go and find that that player, and by find that player, I mean you've got to go in person and have a visit with that person. Like you are breaking down film with Jordan Love at Utah State or wherever he's training, um, you know, top 30 visits, something like that to where, um, again, you are making one of your top 30 visits be him, either bringing him into your own building or, or you're going there and breaking down film and just having a full day with them. I'm pretty sure it's a Kansas City day with Patrick Mahomes. So um and that obviously can't happen. I think the zoom calls now I wanna say are three hours your your top thirty visits and I wanna say it's one hour per position coach. I think that's what or per coach, I think that's what Oh, excuse me. Tuesday morning, recording this early. Um I think that's um That's what the new top 30 visit stipulations are. I think Peter King said that earlier in the week. So, um, yeah, maybe that plays into it because, again, you have these questions about Jordan Love and the cognitive and the X's and O's and the system he was in and his ability to process things. Like, those are the questions, and I feel like you would want as much in-person communication as possible uh, with that guy. Dalton, how many beers during the week did you average pre-corona versus quarantine? Boy, that would be just a fascinating study to see. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I had to. I had to break out the whiskey this weekend. It just got to the point where it was like I, and it was it was a little bit earlier than I than I usually do. It's just like, holy hell! I mean, oof, boy. I'm just glad the weather at least is a little bit better. Can you imagine this in the dead of winter? Man, it's just. Wow. All right, uh, Matt, with the draft process being completely different this year, do you expect the Colts to continue to be aggressive, or do you believe they will sit back and feel out the process, love the pot? It's a good question, Matt. Um, I think in general, do we see more of a conservative approach from everyone around the NFL? And I go back to the trade comment. You know, for the most part, the board is the board. And, like, I go back to watching with the next pick video, and the Colts drafting Rocky scene, you know, you're sitting there all day on Tuesday. You haven't picked 34. You pretty much know full well who's going to be on the board. You just go around the room and you're like, yep, yep, yep. Okay. Medical check. Iberflus check. Uh, position coach check. Like, scout, like all of that. So now you just do that on Zoom. And then as long as you don't get any last minute trade calls, you make the pick. So I think it's more, the, the complicated aspect to me will be more with those trades. And the Colts only have seven picks. So I could see them being just, you know, kind of staying pad ish and not doing anything too, too crazy. All right, Kent Sterling chiming in. Great to hear from Kent. Uh, have we seen any evidence that Chris Bauer can build the top of his roster as well as he has built the bottom? Kent, I think that's a really fair question. I think we're starting to see that more this offseason. You know, I, I've always made the reference on this podcast about why I think the Texans continue to be atop the division and winning the division, what, four out of five years, I think it's been? They've got the most elite talent in the division. And now that's debatable, of course, but when you have a Watt and, and had a Clowney and a Hopkins and, and a Watson – you know, you just had the all-pro level guys. And that is the question, I think, at premium spots, I would say, with Ballard. You know, Nelson and Leonard, those are important players, don't get me wrong. But it's not quarterback, it's not pass rusher, it's not number one wide out, it's not left tackle, like those sorts of things. And that's why I think going out and getting DeForest Buckner is so critical. Because to, to this defense, that three technique means everything. So... I think that is a remaining question that you have with Chris Ballard and ultimately will be a big um, factor in his um, future. Where's the number one wideout? Who is that moving forward? Obviously, long-term quarterback. Uh, you know, found a tackle on Braden Smith, and you're going to have to find a tackle at some point for Anthony Costanzo. And then, you know, edge rusher, is it Ture? You know, who, who is that? Uh, those are some of the questions that you have. All right, Jack, if possible, would you be okay with taking back-to-back wideouts in round two, for instance, going Rivers, two big targets like Higgins and LaVisca Chenault? You know, I probably wouldn't do it because I'm still so narrow-minded into long-term quarterback um, and even tight end maybe. But I get the thinking and certainly wouldn't hate it by any means. Definitely not. Um, You know, someone brought up on last week's podcast, you know, Paris Campbell's the only under-contract wideout past 2020. You know, that, that's fair. But again, it's just not Ballard's philosophy. All right, Riley is going to get a little trade talk here. Um, hey, Kevin, I'm from South Dakota. I've been a fan for a little over a year now. My question is, what would a trade look like for number one or possibly number two next year if the Colts decide to wait on a quarterback? This is assuming they win around 10 to 11 games. I saw this question from Riley. This is a DM question that I got. So I I knew it it needed a little bit of research. Um, And first off, there's not a lot of precedent at all from a team going from 25 to 1 or 2. I found in 2011, the Falcons traded up from 26 to 6 to take Julio Jones. I'd say that worked out pretty well. The Browns. Typical Browns traded back from 6 to 26. So in that trade, the Browns got 26 overall, 59 overall, 118, 124, and then the future first. So basically, that's what a first, a second, you know, borderline third and a fourth, and a future first if you want to go from like 25 ish to the top three. boy, that is a lot. But then you get a player like Julio Jones, and you're like, is it really that much? Uh, The other one that I looked up was the Rams going from 15-1 to to take Jared Goff in 2016. So the Rams gave... Now, this was a trade that was kind of interesting. It wasn't just one pick to move back. The, the, The Titans gave up a little bit more than just one overall. So the Rams traded 15 43 45 76 next year's first and next year's third which next year's first ended up being fifth overall to the Titans for first overall 113 overall and 177 so if we if we cancel out kind of those back end picks it basically was the Rams gave up number 1 or excuse me the Rams got number 1 but they gave up 15 43, 45, and then 5th overall and 100th overall. Damn. I mean, these packages are huge. So I guess that's what you're looking at. You know, that's what you're looking at. Um, substantial. Really substantial. Next year, if you look at trade value charts, it probably... If you would. Let's say the Colts drafted 25 overall this year and have the same draft capital that they currently have. They'd probably have to give up 25, 34, 44, and then a future first. So two firsts and two seconds. Maybe you could squeeze in like a third and two fourths to offset one of those other second rounders, but again, it would be a whole lot. All right, Carter. Hey, Kevin, love your show. I have another question, but this time on the 53-man roster. Do you think Chris Bauer will make more trade-ups this year in the draft than in years past, considering that the Colts are looking more for quality over quantity? A really fair question, Carter, and listeners of this podcast will know that I've been kind of a quality over quantity guy. Now, again, seven picks isn't a lot. I'm going to take a closer look at the depth chart next week and, and try to see where I could fit in these seven picks. But just off the top of my head, if they keep the seven, Two wideouts. I'm thinking two offensive linemen. One quarterback. One tight end. God, it's such an offensive heavy draft. You probably need another running back. Maybe go the undrafted route, but I mean, Jonathan Williams was your fourth runner. And then um, who is FaceTiming me right now? Gosh, sorry about that. Um gosh, you people come on FaceTime on nine forty on a Tuesday morning. Can't be having that. Um So i I guess you could go another running back, but again, I'd like another defensive back, so <laughs> You probably still need another an, another defensive player, linebacker. I I think has great depth, but like just a pure another number there, um, would make sense as well. So, yeah, that is a um, that's a good question. You know, again, I I am more of a quality over quantity, but I still think there are some back end depth spots that like when I listed, you know, Rogers and Gathers and Sheard. Um, Jonathan Williams, yes, you can make up for some of that with your own guys, but still, I think you could uh, you could add a little bit more with those seven draft picks. All right, Casey with the K. What keeps the Titans from being the 2017 Jags? <laughs> That's a fair question. Um, also, I feel like Tennessee gets like a bad stigma. Like They've won at least nine games in four straight years. I think they've won exactly nine games, actually. And they've won playoff games on the road in two of those seasons. So, let's not go like straight Jacksonville on him. Nowhere near the amount of dysfunction, and I actually think that Vrabel is a good co- is a good coach. Donnie chimes in. Why did it take a pandemic for Ebron to realize he needed a jugs machine? Oh boy, oh boy, Donnie. Haven't we kicked Ebron enough? I do hope the Houston golf courses are still open for him. All right, Trenton. There's a lot of talk moving up into the 20s for love. Let's say all top four quarterback options are gone around then. Could the Colts maybe move up for one of the draft's big three wideouts, Judy, Lamb, or Ruggs, if they fall due to run on tackles and quarterbacks? You know, again, fair question, but to me, Ballard just isn't a wideout guy. I mean, he just hasn't been a big wideout guy. And, it's a historically deep class, so wouldn't the Colts kind of fall into everyone else's thinking of like, oh, you can wait on a wide out. And I come back to the only only seven um, pick situation. Big, big Blue Mafia chimes in. Hey, Kevin, curious as to why there hasn't been much chatter about Delaney Walker to the Colts. Uh, old, old. 36, right? Turns 36 this summer. Was he played in... He barely played at all the last two years. I think you got to think about the medical ankle issue. I believe it was the same ankle. You know, don't you want? And that kind of goes back to the Cam Newton thing of like, you got to get these guys in here to actually do some testing and scans and MRIs and and do a little bit more of the medical aspect to the free agency process. Um. So yeah, he asked about Denzel Mims and Chase Claypool, thirty-four and forty-four. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I wouldn't hate back-to-back wideouts because I think it's such a pressing need. But to me, it's like, can you still find that QB? If you're Chris Ballard, who are you taking at 34 and 40, 44? This is from Tanner. Assuming Love, Herbert, and the top three wideouts are off the board. Love the pod. Oh, only top three wideouts are off the board. Uh, Justin Jefferson, and um, if I'm taking a quarterback in the second round, I've started to come around on this a little bit more. Probably Jalen Hurts. And again, I don't take that pick with the thinking of like slam dunk franchise quarterback, but um, gosh, my neighbor's on the roof. Man, the quarantine on the roof at 940 on a Tuesday? I mean, come on. I know the quarantine's crazy, but geez. Decent weather, though. All right, um, Hurts. You know, it, it worst case scenario is your backup, and he's kind of a gadget guy. Moving, moving forward. And again, I've, I've, I've come around a little bit on that. All right. Forged in blue. I, I keep seeing a couple of quarterbacks that the Colts are linked to Jalen hurts, um, James Morgan, Anthony Gordon, as much as we would love to see them pick one with rivers for possibly two more years. Do you think not want the Col- Colts to draft the quarterback? If so, who good question. Um, again, the Colts thinking, not my thinking. I, I think they do. But, again, for me to, like, lock in on a quarterback and what round, that's so difficult. You know, just to appease the audience, I'll go with Anthony Gordon, but what would that be, round three-ish, maybe round four? But I'm not, obviously, I'm not sold on that at all. Bradley, why did Ballard cut Desir? He was the high-character locker room guy. He always preaches about what message does it send the locker room to cut the Walter Payton finalist a year after a three-year extension? Again, very, very fair question, Bradley. Certainly some mixed messaging there. Um, and it's something that I'm going to write tomorrow, uh, Wednesday morning. Check out 107.5 The Fan. Ten takeaways I have from the free agency period so far for the Colts. And the Desir move is the biggest surprise. And it, it's the altering of the approach that Chris Ballard has had of like, you know, are you talking out of two sides of your mouth when you see Xavier Rhodes talk about how he's banged up and he's been really poor? Well, Desir was banged up but played through the injury unlike an Eric Ebron, and yet you still part ways with them, And, yes, you are saving a little bit of money, but just a little money, and you haven't done anything with that money. I, you know, I expected when I saw the Seer move, I'm like, oh, uh, a big splash could be coming in free agency. But, you know, you haven't really done that. Maybe they just look at it as we know where Pierre Seer is kind of consistency-wise, and we know where that ceiling is. We look at Xavier Rhodes and think that there's, there's a higher ceiling getting back with his coaching staff. But if Rhodes bottoms out and you're struggling to find cornerback depth, certainly I think you're going to have guys in that locker room questioning. Cody, um, do the Colts win now moves and lack of attention at wideout and tight end signal they will address those early in the draft? I think quarterback will come in the mid-rounds of it all this year. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. But again, Ballard's MO has not really been hammer the skill guys early. Not at all. 2017, what he went defense the first three picks, maybe the first four picks. I don't know how the fourth round played out of where Marlon Mack was chosen, but a lot of defense there. Obviously, didn't hit on skill until the fourth round in 2018. You know, last year, heavy defense early. So, again, it's not his MO outside of Campbell. Um, But if you look at the needs right now, I think that is that is exactly there. Alright, Yuri, if you had a quarantine with three Colts players from the entire history of the franchise, who and why? Oh boy. Let's just go present day. I I can't think back to the to the past history. Um present day Colts. I'm quarantining with Costanzo, need the Italian cooking. And he's a real techie guy. If anything breaks, I feel like he could help me out. He, he wouldn't let me go, go through the laptop issue that, I, that I've gone through. Uh, Jack Doyle. Simple. Like Jack Doyle. Go watch old school, Pacers basketball games. Naeem Hines. Give, give, give me Hines. I I need to play a little golf. Hines. I feel like he's playing a ton. I love it. All right, Brett. What do uh, the Colts have to do this season for it to be considered a successful year, in your opinion? Um... I think getting getting back in the playoffs, yeah. And and to some, a successful year will be what happens to long-term quarterback. And this gets into our discussions of the Colts 2018 season. To me, it was a bonus you got back in the playoffs. The biggest deal was Andrew Luck looked like he could play at a high level again and did play at a high level. Now the retirement happened and all that, and it's it's how I've described, and you guys have heard me say this before. How I've described the uh, Pacers' season this year. To me, if okay, you win a first round series, great. If you get in the playoffs, great. Just you need Victor Oladipo to look like he can be an all or, uh, an all NBA type of player. So when you look at this season from a win loss standpoint, yeah, getting back to the playoffs I think is big because you've missed it for the last five years. Um, just instilling, I think, a little bit more confidence into this team. I think would be huge. But some people might look at it as, I don't care what happens when loss. If they don't draft a quarterback and they stick with Rivers and Brissett and you middle out, then who cares? Which I, I, I don't totally disagree with. I, I can see that, that side of thinking here. All right, a few more here. Jay Cook comes in. Chimes in, not jimes in. Chimes in. I don't even know, man. Dude, Corn. maybe I should go on my roof at this point. Developmental quarterbacks. Is that even a real thing? How many quarterbacks are playing today that are developmental or sat behind someone? Rodgers, Mahomes, question mark? They were good anyway. I think we should just say, hey, boomer bus. Either the kid will be a Wilson or he will be a Winston. Well, Jay, I don't... I can't go all the way there. I mean, if Mahomes was so good, why was Trubisky drafted above him? And, like, why was River or why was Winston taken in the uh, – or Wilson taken in the third round? Brady sat, River sat. The dra- it's such a crapshoot with these quarterbacks. You don't truly know until live bullets are flying, you get the guy under center in a real setting. It's, why make, it's, it's what makes this decision so difficult. So difficult. It's not just that blanket easy. If Mahomes was so good, why didn't they start him that first year and give a higher ceiling to Alex Smith or move on from Alex Smith? Jabroni, are you surprised at all not to see extensions for guys like Kelly, Mack, and Walker? Not really. You know, I think um, Kelly would have been the guy that, and, and I still think he'd get an extension at some point this offseason. You got what, right around $25 million, I think it is, left? Walker, I think he'll, I think he'll play it out. Mac, I mean, that was quickly shunned by Ursay. Quickly. And you rarely see the owner do that in a public setting. So I think that could play out as well. All right, last one here from Zach. And there are certainly some questions that I didn't get to. Again, this is a lot more difficult trying to sift through all these with just one, one person. So I will, um I will save the ones that I didn't get to and we will um, touch on them next podcast. Zach, the virtual draft and the lack of in-house visits is going to expose a lot of scouting groups. While I'm obviously not worried about Ballard and company being bad scouts, am I right to be a little worried that the extent accentuating circumstances will throw him off his game? My silver lining to this is the senior bowl already happened, and I know Ballard loves himself some seniors. Really fair question, Zach. Um... And this gets into kind of the bigger draft dilemma. Like, what happens to the EJ Speeds of the world? You know, EJ Speed, the Colts hadn't even heard of him last March. They don't even go to his pro day. They see the numbers come in from his pro day, like a Lone Star Conference pro day, and they're like, whoa, what? Uh, what? Who is that? Then they start doing research. And then – Brian Busby, I think, is their local area scout in the Texas region. He starts making calls, and Tar- Tarleton State has started to be scouted a little bit more, and they figure out more about EJ Speed. Those are the stories that I think you worry about. Um, I mean, maybe you won't have John Dorsey calling. Well, John Dorsey's fired, but or whatever happened. John Dorsey's not going to be calling Chris Ballard and joking with him, you know, things like that. But, um. Your IT guy is going to matter. I'll say that. you got to have the most secure Google Doc or whatever you have just to make sure that everyone has access to the board and, you know, the Zoom, you know, people aren't hacking Zooms and things like that. Because basically what the war room looks like, and a lot of you have seen this, I mean, you have the vast majority of your high-level scouts, um, your coordinators in there, probably a position coach or two in there, obviously Frank Reich. Chris Ballard, Ed Dodds, your head of college scouting, your 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 cap guy, you have a couple of pro scout people that are in there handling the phones. Now all those guys can be a little bit more individual, and I think the undrafted free agent portion is going to be really chaotic, you know, because that's kind of like a think of a um, you know scene from um, God, what the hell is that movie? I gotta I gotta look that up. Um, that is the really chaotic scene of like, okay, um, I just offered this guy, you know, a million dollar signing bonus. I'm just throwing out numbers here. And okay, we've, we found our quarterback wolf of wall street type of scene of like, it's just chaotic. It's, it's really chaotic to how all of that goes down. I think that might be, um, a little bit more difficult. And, and like, like I said earlier, do you have less trades? Do you have less trades? All right, appreciate you all tuning in. Like I said, 10 takeaways on free agency will be up on Wednesday. Uh, Naim Hines and Paris Campbell, Yards After Catch article, is already up on the site. Um, next week I'll look more at the depth chart and start to get into some draft-centric podcasts, players that I like, positional drafts, those sorts of things. Only got two more podcasts until the draft. April 23rd, folks. I love it. I love it. So everyone stay safe out there through all this. Hopefully um, you're able to keep as positive a mindset as possible through all this craziness. And we're glad that we're providing a little bit of a break um, from such an awful situation going around the entire country and uh, the entire world. So thank you all for listening to this edition of Kevin's Corner. And if you have any questions, and 1070 on Twitter. Later. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.